and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. Uh, and for the extended conversation with our guest today, be sure to check out the after show chat on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash scripts and scribes. And today on the show, we've got two guests for you. So it's two for the price of one. The first is the co-creator and showrunner of the long running hit comedy, Two and a Half Men. His legendary career includes writing and producing some of TV's most beloved shows, including Big Bang Theory, Murphy Brown, Who's the Boss, Charles in Charge, The Love Boat, CSI, and I can go on and on and on, but I won't. He is Lee Aronson. And All right. And and Jason. And also joining <laughs> us is Jason Kyle. No, he, he, he works in TV development at Sony and formerly at CBS. He's also an actor, comedian, writer, director, and voice actor on some video games you've probably seen and played. He is Jason Kyle. And together, they're the founders of the Creators Writing Room at thecwroom.com, where they offer free resource resources, shows, and classes via Zoom for up-and-coming creators. This is not sponsored. They're just awesome. And so I wanted to mention that. Um, and we'll get into it in just a bit. So welcome, gentlemen. How are you both doing? Oh, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love after that intro. It's happening. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm like zombie Jerry Garcia here. <laughs> I love. I feel. Ba- I feel like Lee. We need like to intro Kevin. Like those are such no. good introductions. It's like I- I've. I've been actually. I'll be honest. I have been doing some research on Kevin, and here's what I found out. I found out that uh, Kevin actually uh, is a very, very good person. Um, <laughs> very kind and polite, and yeah, like there's a lot of dirty laundry there. <laughs> More nice things than you've ever said about me. <laughs> <laughs> that might be one of the rare times I agree with you. Uh, but uh, yeah, Kevin, thanks for having us, man. No, it's great to have you guys on. I'm uh, excited to get into all of everything about uh, the CW room and all that stuff. And also, you're, both of you have done approached the business from different areas, different aspects, which I find fascinating and, and uh, can lead to a lot of different uh, perspectives that we can sort of unwrap. Um, Recently, for obvious reasons, we've been sort of starting out uh, each interview with sort of talk about the elephant in the room. How have you guys been handling the pandemic? How how have you guys been been doing during this time? What's been keeping you busy besides Wait. the CW room? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm very fortunate in that I don't have to go outside. And I've always thought, and I've always felt outside was overrated. So um, <laughs> basically since March been here, um, I have three video game uh, platforms. I have a large screen television set. I have books. Uh, I have films. I have no friends. And so life pretty much goes on as normal. Now, my experience is going to be a little bit darker than that. <laughs> 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 Which you would no, um, I yeah, like so. I will say I try to call Lee on a daily basis. Um, he always picks up, and and I think at the beginning he's usually somewhat happy in Lee's definition of happy to hear from me, and then by the end he regrets answering the phone. So that's right. kind of what, what I do on like a daily basis with Lee. Uh, a daily basis. But, 
Yeah, I try. We try to talk on a daily basis. I talk um, to my agent more often. But, but my, um, that's funny because Lee doesn't have an agent anymore. But uh, yeah, and like I still hear from him more often. Things have been, okay, things have been a uh, uh, roller coaster, like I'm sure like a lot of people, um, a, a emotional roller coaster, professional roller coaster. But I, I am blessed and grateful to say that I've, I'm still employed. I get to be doing what I love to do. Uh, I get to work with Lee on CWR and we get to work with such an amazing team and build this community of people over Zoom and online. And it's something that just kind of started really out of thin air that I thought, well, let's throw this thing against the wall. It started with like a free webinar over Zoom to uh, inform up and coming writers trying to break in what this idea of pitching is and how mm. to like pitch idea. And I thought, well, if I could get a few people to join, this would be great. And we wound up getting hundreds of people interested because this area of pitching is something that not a lot of writers know or learn. So we've kind of built out CWR uh, from that, like sort of one little nugget of a free webinar. Um, so it's been really great to work on developing great projects with great people and working with Lee simultaneously on on, um, on CWR. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to get into CWR, but first I want to get to sort of into your backgrounds and how you got started. Uh, maybe we'll start off with uh, Lee first and then Jason, if you could answer the same question. What was your sort of, because I, I think they're going to be very diverse answers. What was your first introduction to film and TV sort of as a business when it became more than, than just entertainment for you? Well, I moved to L.A. Uh, in the late 70s uh, because I didn't have any place else to go, basically, and had no particular job skills. So where else are you going to go? <laughs> and I, I always knew I wanted to be in the entertainment industry, but I had no idea, you know, how or what to do. So um, I started hanging out at the comedy store in the improv and started doing stand up and basically starved to death as a stand-up and uh but someone did see me and thought I was funny and asked if I'd ever considered writing which I never had because writing is work (laughs) (laughs) like having a term paper due every day of your life and but then he told me what they were paying writers and I said well you know on the other hand um I love term papers (laughs) And it it so happened that I got an opportunity to pitch to a show called The Love Boat. And and they bought a story from me. And I wrote it just based on having read scripts that they sent me to learn the form and everything. And it turned out I could do this. You know, it turned out to be about the only thing I could do that people would pay me to do, you know, that wasn't going to get... uh, busted by the vice squad or something. And uh, so I kept doing it and I became a staff writer on the love boat and, um, uh, you know, then worked on other shows. That's basically the only jobs, real jobs that I've had, except during writer's strikes. So other than, than sort of wanting to work in entertainment, what sort of training did you have in writing at all? Absolutely, absolutely zero. <laughs> I, I, I never even turned in a legitimate book report. Wow. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think with me, um, 
I spent so much time parked in front of a television set as a child that by osmosis, I absorbed a lot of the rhythms of television. And by luck and genetics or whatever you want to call it, I've got a good ear. I've got a good ear for dialogue. And because I was lucky enough to have two very literate parents, I also grew up with a facility for language, knowing how to use words. And so you combine all those three, and it turned out I could be a television writer. And Lee, when it comes to, because you worked on a lot of comedies, the joke structure of doing stand-up set you, well, set you up well for joke structure in terms of writing for comedy. And, and the genesis of that was, you know, I, I'm basically a class clown that went pro. I, I discovered, you know, very early on, the way to avoid getting hit was to make people laugh. Mm. And, uh, and the way to get you know, ladies to pay attention to you was to make them laugh. And, and what laugh. about kickball? Weren't were you a good kickball player when you were? Gosh, yeah, no, I was not. I was not good in athletics at all. Um, I, was, uh, I was picked last for the kickball team. I was picked after Ricky Ryman, and he had polio. Um, <laughs> You like that setup? You like that setup? A little Abbott and Costello setup punchline there? <laughs> Although I don't remember the, 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 the gentleman's name who had polio, but maybe he won't appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, FDR would not be happy with that fucking joke. Um, I will say that, yeah, I've heard that so many times that, that that's why I said, hey, Lee, were you good at kickball? And then boom, mm. there we go. Yeah, nobody would have, nobody would have known that, Jason. If you I, that, is, that is true. I'll give you that. That is true. It's, it's like it's like Ed McMahon saying, you know, Johnny and I talked about this before the show. Uh, <laughs> and maybe that's why uh, Lee doesn't answer your phone calls all the time, Jason. <laughs> and or regrets our calls at the right. end. This is also probably why we're not live right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, okay, you – I wanted to talk because I know, Lee, you're um, obviously the – one of the kings of of the sitcom in terms of your have a ton of experience uh show running and writing for for and producing for comedies and jason the production companies and 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 the t development you've been involved in primarily involve or involving tv dramas mm-hmm. and tv drama the structure uh they tend to hire writers first and foremost meaning mm-hmm. tv writers uh, but also, especially recently, moving into hiring a playwright or hiring a comic just, book writer, yes. whereas in, in the comedy world that uh, Lee comes from, hiring a stand-up comedian is not wholly out of, out of uh, the realm of possibility. You're yeah. spot on, Kevin. And I, and I was going to say that that was, you know, after interrupting Lee during him telling his story about yeah, how the stand-up helps in terms of the writing of the joke structure. Because yeah, if we think about, if we boil it down, a joke is a setup punchline, uh, shattering that expectation for the audience. We're writing drama. It's more about, uh, you know, the emotion, um, sort of the character arc and, and what they're going through on an episode and, and season basis. So yes, to that point, we see a lot of drama writers come from playwriting and a lot of comedy writers come from stand-up. That's not always the case. Um, but also, even when we think about uh, sketch, we see a lot of sketch people from SNL or sketch shows come from places like the Groundlings and mm-hmm. come from improv backgrounds. Again, it's not like saying 
if you want to be a comedy writer, you have to do stand-up for X amount of years. But those tend to be the trends that we see in the backgrounds of, of writers. Right. You know, I can say that, um, you know, once Two and a Half Men became a hit, you know, when you start a show, you want to start a show with writers who have a uh, experience because you need all the help you can get and you don't have a lot of time to prepare them. But, you know, once a show becomes a hit and you're looking to expand uh, your writing staff, you, you can start looking in other places. And we got, uh, we got a woman who was just a blog writer. We got a guy who was an actor in a stand-up, um, you know, uh, other backgrounds. And, and they all became quite successful mm-hmm. on the show. Lee, when you, sorry, no, go ahead, Kevin. No, go ahead. Well, cause I have, and, and Lee and I have talked about this, but this is a question, Kevin, that we get a lot <clears throat> from newer writers. And I say newer by up and coming, trying to break in sure. and get their first credit, maybe their first staff job. Lee, when you were hiring writers for the room, were you looking for, writers that had their own unique diverse voice like you said the blog writer and the and the the actor um or was it people who can speak in your voice as the showrunner or was it kind of a mix of both well start it's definitely just people who can you know who who can prove that they can write Mm -hmm. in the the show you know Mm -hmm. um after you know when you get more successful and and you have more latitude and you have more room uh, to reach out, then you can reach out to people who have unique voices and see if they can uh, you know, adapt to the voice mm-hmm. of the show. Some can't. Uh, yeah. To get started though, you definitely, I, I will be honest, my, most of my career is based on the fact that I can adapt myself to almost any tone of a show. I could write for Love Boat. I could write for Murphy Brown. I could write for Married with Children. I could write for Big Bang Theory. You know, and those are all. Didn't you also write CSI? I we wrote Chuck and I wrote one episode of CSI. It was mm-hmm. it was a stunt where we switched writing staffs and and, and they wrote an they ostensibly wrote an episode of uh, of Two and a Half Men and we wrote mm-hmm. an episode. CSI and the episode we wrote uh, had to do with a sitcom diva who was hated by everyone she worked with, who was found dead with a rubber chicken stuffed down her throat. <laughs> Love um, it. I wanted to ask, going back to what you were talking about, Jason, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, sort of coming at television from the point of view of uh, having a background in comedy mm-hmm. and, you know, breaking in uh, later episodes, possibly, as mm-hmm. a stand-up comedian. Whereas in, when you're starting off, you want to get as much experience as you can in a newer show. What do you teach in CWR that mm-hmm. sort of prepares writers for these types of situations? We focus heavily on pitching because pitching is the business. And I I always love hearing these stories on pitching. It's like, we're always pitching ourselves. We're pitching ourselves as writers. We're pitching ourselves as people to collaborate with. We're pitching ourselves as people to, to, you know, who come up with great ideas, our thought process. So even if, because 
we have writers pitch us all the time and, and we meet with writers quite a bit for general meetings. And the idea is even if they're not pitching their pilot idea, their series idea, they're pitching themselves. They're pitching a nugget or a germ of idea. They're pitching their point of view or their take on certain stories. So we focus heavily on that. And then we kind of branch off in a couple different directions where we talk about more of the business side of the business, meaning how does a show make money? What are current trends that we're seeing? Some people say, they say to me like, oh, I want to write like, we love Two and a Half Men. It's great. And we know Lee worked on Love Boat and we love the show Cheers. It's like, we want to write that. And it's like, yeah, but those shows worked at that time in that format during that period. Like we can't write a Cheers right now, right? So it's kind of like taking that current landscape and not trying to change people's stories, but adapt them where they understand the business side and the trends and where things are heading. Um, and then the other side of that is, is preparing them with this package of materials. And that could be Lee, like you said, you don't, when you were on two and a half men, Lee or big bang, the last thing you wanted to read was a two and a half men spec, right? Well, it, yeah, just because um, it's, it's so easy to hate a two and a half men spec when you are writing two and a half, you know, when you're a writer on two and a half men, you see every single flaw, you see every single, you know, wrong note. It, mm-hmm. It's it's just not smart to submit uh, a mm-hmm. spec of a show to the show mm-hmm. that you want to consider you. I'm sure, Lee, what was a rival show, like when two and a half men was at its height, what was a, what was another rival show at that time? A rival show? Yeah. Because I'm just thinking, if you get if you get a spec from that show, oh, we were getting spec. You know, we'd read specs. Gosh, I'm trying to remember. We'd read specs for we'd read uh, uh, curb your enthusiasm specs, and why mm-hmm. people would write a spec script for a show that's improvised. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, get- and it's uh, right because you guys did that multicam and it's single. Like it's two very different sort of styles of comedy. Well, we get Everybody Loves Raymond Specs. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to think. Uh, once Modern Family came on, we get a lot of Modern Family Specs. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, yeah, this ties back to your question, right? In terms of how are we trying to prepare writers and creators? And it's around these things that we're talking about. It's, okay, if you want to write on XYZ show, great. Like that's the ultimate goal, right? So let's work backwards from there. Are you represented? No? Okay. Let's work backwards from there. What do we need in order to get you uh, in the door with representation in order to um, uh, start getting meetings and start getting a, a rep, a manager, an agent to get you into other meetings with producers and where you might eventually see us at, at Sony. Um, and that really comes to that package of materials. What is what do your pitch pages look like? Do you have a visual deck that visually represents your show? Do you have an original pilot? Do you have another pilot that's more of a roll of the dice? But get somebody to say, wow, that is a unique voice. I don't know if we can make that show, but we love your voice. And then do you have a spec which shows you can write in someone else's voice? So that's kind of what we try to preach and, and help mold with younger writers. Well, that and I definitely want to dive into that a little bit more in terms of voice. Because we get asked a lot, what is voice? And mm. I want to get both of your takes on that. Obviously, it's sort of amorphous, so everyone has sort of a different answer. But in a more practical sense, uh, voice 
in terms of getting read by a showrunner, um, uh, Leah, you maybe you can answer to this. Obviously, nowadays, everyone likes original material. Managers and agents love original material because it's something they can sell, i.e. big paychecks. Usually, specs are only for fellowships, sometimes as a backup piece of writing. Um, if somebody doesn't have an original, I mean, doesn't have a, a, a spec of an existing show, only original material, and they don't plan on applying to the fellowships, although I don't know why they wouldn't, what do you suggest that they do? Um, and how can you see their, vo- their, you can obviously see their original voice from their original piece, but how can you tell if they could write in your voice if they don't have a spec of, you know, an existing show? Well, I want to see at least two specs um, from two existing shows. You know, oh, okay. Have different <clears throat> uh, because I figure, well, the most success I ever had in terms of a, a, a pitch package that would be submitted for me was an episode of Murphy Brown and uh, a spec I wrote of Married with Children. And, you know, those are two very different types of shows. And I think if you read those, uh, then you can say, well, if he can write that and he can write that, he can probably write anything in between mm. that. You know? So if, for instance, somebody submits to me a um, a Sex in the City spec, and this, I mean, obviously going back to when Sex in the City was a, a, a current show, somebody would uh, submit a Sex in the City spec and a, uh, you know, a, and an Married with Children spec or uh, a, a, you know, a multi-camera uh, hard joke show spec, then I figure, you know, they've got range. They can probably hit the sweet spot that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's all, you know, it's all a matter of just playing the odds because you never know. And again, when a show is starting out and staffing, you don't want it to take a, a lot of chances that you don't have to take. You want to be as smooth as possible later, you know, then if you run into somebody who's just incredibly funny, sure. Give them a shot, put them on the staff, see, you know, see if they sink or swim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, <clears throat> yeah. Specs can be tough. I, I think though, when we think about spec and, and Lee speaking in comedy, um, we don't see many specs at all in the drama arena when we're getting scripts submitted. What I will say, and we focus on this in one of our classes, is yes, original stories are great, more so in the drama arena. I mean, we are seeing stories in comedy based off of somebody's life, you know, like Seinfeld, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, and then a bunch of shows after that. But in drama, IP is really driving the marketplace right now in terms of, you know, what book is this based off of? Whose life is this based? What are we adapting it from? Um, so if we, t- I mean, Queen's Gambit, I think is a perfect example where it was what a six or seven episode miniseries, just one season from a book written 40 years ago about chess. If you say, Hey, I got this book from 40 years ago about chess. It's going to be a hit. I'd be like, please see your way out. Right. But it's, it's, it's so character driven that, uh, you know, it, it becomes a very compelling, uh, limited. You also have to, you know, point out that the fact that it was based on a book, mm-hmm. a safer buy for any, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yes. I, 
he went in and pitched that, you know, just pitched it cold, I don't think it ever gets on the air. Right. Uh, when, when there's existing IP, and you have to understand that the major motivating factor of most people in Hollywood is fear. Fear of one's leaving the job, of not advancing, and, so, and especially for executives who all they bring to the table really is their discernment in what they choose and what they come down. This is true, yeah. Uh, you don't want to be somebody sitting on an enormous flop and not be able to justify why you said yes to it in the first place. I mean, yeah, spot on. Kevin, I. There's a word that you said a little bit earlier, voice, right? Mm. Like the voice of a writer. Right. Um, you know, I, I refer to it a lot as, as point of view or commentary, but I think backing up in terms of, you know, Lee is talking about sort of that spectrum in comedy. Mm-hmm. We still know, yes, it's a broad spectrum where it's two different samples, but we know they're a comedy writer. You know, it's a little bit challenging. And this even goes for, for actors trying to break it. Are you the comedic actor? Are you the dramatic actor? Are you the host of a TV show? Like where, where does your rep know to place a call? Meaning if you're a writer, do you have three samples that are all half hour comedic? Mm-hmm. Great. Do you have one multicam and two single cams? Is one a little bit darker? What's the range? As opposed to, hey, I have this multicam slapstick show plus an hour long like dark drama with no laughs plus like an unscripted reality show. It's then the question becomes, well, what is this person's voice? Right. Um, And then diving a little bit deeper into voice comes point of view. What's the commentary you as a writer are trying to say about this piece? And I think that tends to get lost quite a bit where writers focus on, oh, but this happens, then this happens. And then like, oh, then the brother comes back, right? Like it's a lot of plot. And I'm like, well, but why do you want to tell the story and what does it mean to you? Mm-hmm. You know, and before I get it, we get into sort of what voices and how you notice it, which I think is an important question. Um, Lee, I wanted to ask you specifically about. You've obviously been a showrunner and EP on long-running shows like Two and a Half Men and um, Big Bang Theory. When you're seeing writers and their samples, like sometimes you know near the in the later seasons when you're sort of grabbing different voices, whether it's a stand-up comedian or somebody who had a blog or funny blog or whatever, how, maybe they don't have uh, a spec writing sample. How do you see, how do you discover voice and how it would be applicable to your show? Like, how do you know that they're going to be able to? Well, you don't know, um, but I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, for Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. we were looking at funny geeks, really. You know, we were looking for, uh, you know, people uh, who had deep knowledge of popular culture and trivia uh, and also people who had some sort of technical or scientific background. Mm. Um, and, you know, you take some chances. I We hired uh, one woman on Big Bang Theory that I met on a uh, writer's BS back in the day. And I just thought, you know, what she was writing was smart and funny. And, um, you know, today I, I, I would, might look on Twitter. Hmm. For that. Um, you just, you just That's never so painful to hear that, but, oh. 
Well, yeah, but look, um, you know, you can do joke structure on Twitter. Careers have started that way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there are people, um, I've only got, I've only got like 3,500 followers on Twitter. There there are people who I've never heard of who've got hundreds of thousands Mm -hmm. of followers and, you know, based on nothing but the material that they put out every day. Yeah. And, didn't, isn't that how it didn't last, but that show um, shit my dad says or something like that, that they became from a Twitter account to a TV show. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting how social media really has sort of changed the landscape. Of- Absolutely. The, you know, the barriers to entry have almost disappeared. Uh, you know, the, the flip side of that and the disadvantage is you've got exponentially more people banging doors than you did before. Right. Kevin, not to keep not to keep tying it back because I know we said yeah, it's not sponsorship. So I want to keep tying it back to oh, by the way, we do this. No, no, CWR, not at all. Which, by the way, a lot of what we do is is uh, is free. We could talk more about those things uh, down the line. But um, what I'm what I wanted to say is that this is why we decided Lee and I to call it the Creators Writing Room. Like we were kicking around ideas. We we're like, well, because we were teaching classes with actors and it. it and we were like, well, should it be the actors' writing room? Because actors now need to write their own material. But, you know, to Lee's point and to your point, Kevin, about social media, like mm. people, we just want creatives to create. And sure, maybe your ultimate goal is to be a showrunner or to be this or to, or to act. But like we need to be creating things. And generally that starts with something that's scripted or on the page or a germ of an idea that gets fleshed out that you can turn into a web series on YouTube or a TikTok series or Instagram quotes or whatever it is. And because that is the business right now, that's how people are being discovered. Mm -hmm. And it's less about, let me just go in and audition for the role. It's more about creating. The CW room, you know, grew out of something we were doing prior to the pandemic, which was um, we had a class uh, where it had actors in it, it had writers in it, and we would go through the entire process basically, of uh, developing something in a writer's room, Mm -hmm. uh, gang writing it, writing it together uh, the way we do on a sitcom, then putting it on its feet, rehearsing it, performing it, and then in some cases, uh, shooting it. I've shot a whole lot of uh, short films, you know, based on stuff that was developed communally in a class. And Can people see those on YouTube, Lee? Are they, are they public? I forget. No, they're not. Um, okay. Cause I wanted, you know, I wanted to promote. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, if you want to, you know, I have a Twitter account. It's <laughs> uh, if you're Only 3,500. We're trying to get it up to 4,000. He's only got 3,500. <laughs> Drop 4, him a follow. My dream. 4,000. <laughs> and then he, um, and then he gets to 4,000. He'll be like, yeah, but this guy has got five. Why, right. why does he have five? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> already at this guy has you know 200,000 followers right. and uh, you know 80 retweets when he farts uh, right. you know. <laughs> um i wanted to ask uh about farts no uh about uh, uh voice going back to voice uh and jason how do you determine what a writer's voice is and if they have found it yet when you're reading for development. Yeah. A lot of times for me, it, 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 I feel like the best voices, the best points of view are when 
me as the audience or reader, there's a question and I go back and forth on that question. Or I can debate that question with someone else and they take one side and I take another. Like for me, that is voice and point of view. Um, having something to say about the piece. Um, I, I also think, again, when it comes to if we're separating comedy and drama and reading a very good comedy, a lot of times it's, you know, if it's a single cam, we take a show like Shit's Creek that had character development, but it happened over a long period of time where you take a show like Breaking Bad, where it's a drama, that character development happened immediately in the pilot. Like loser teacher gets cancer, becomes a badass, like by the end of the show, where the Shit's Creek character development comes a lot. It, it takes a lot, it's stretched out. Um, so I guess it's planting those seeds very early on in your pilot to kind of see where this story can go, where you see this character starting and eventually transforming. And then also what this character is, is saying about the world through, through your voice. I mean, that's, that's essentially what it is. Um, I wish there was a pill for that. If anybody has a prescription, uh, send it to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, you make a fortune. Um, clone that thing. Um, now, going to CWR. Uh, Jason, you work at Sony uh, in development. Lee, you have done TV for a few years now. So you've got your feet wet. He's got a little experience. Like a um, tiny you could buy an island probably and just go off and Let's be clear. I don't do this anymore. Okay, <laughs> I retired from TV uh, after the final episode of Two and a Half Men in 2015, and then he keeps getting pulled back in. Which leads well, me to the question of why are you doing CWR when you could just pull a David Letterman and maybe do an internet thing or just disappear and live on your private island and eat coconuts well, or whatever. Welcome to my private island. Here there I you am. go. No, the, the CWR was simply because, A, I, w I wanted to uh, keep exercising my creative muscles. Uh, I didn't have to do it for money anymore. I didn't have to put up with the bullshit, you know, of mm -hmm. development and executives and notes and, you know, and crazy stars and all that stuff. Uh, and I wanted to give back and, and because people helped me when I was, you know, a, a younger writer. Uh, people gave me a leg up, you know, uh, gave me advice. And, uh, and I like to be appreciated. And the people we work with are uh, fantastically talented and uh, also respect the, uh, the, the body of knowledge, I guess, that we bring. Uh, to the table mm -hmm. and it's, it's very fulfilling and I'm really looking forward to people no longer dropping dead in the street so we can go back to in-person classes and you know, <laughs> shooting things and uh, and look Lee, Lee gets to learn a lot from me about writing and you, got, yeah. you know comedy and you know I'm, I'm constantly teaching him about joke structure right Lee yeah, I look. I, I I wouldn't know half the uh, rap artists that I know of. <laughs> That's fair. I I do like him. Yeah, I remember Lee and I were 
Lee was getting on me for not knowing the name of something. I forget what it was. Oh, it was like the vice president under fucking Herbert Hoover or something. And then I'm like, do you, okay, what's the name of Jay-Z's first album? And Lee goes, here's Jay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, that's actually a pretty decent educated guess. But no. I think it was Hoover's vice president. I think it was something like, you know, a film that uh you know predated SpongeBob SquarePants. Which I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> what what was the film that predated SpongeBob SquarePants? <laughs> there isn't one. I'm oh. convinced there isn't one. <laughs> so there, it really was uh, some some film that, that a class maybe Sunset Boulevard or No. Uh, yeah, I uh, forget what it no, it was an obscure reference that Kevin, no one on the planet would know other than Lee. And uh-huh. he berated me for it. And then I gave him the Jay-Z reference. Mm-hmm. Maybe the berating that you received at the hands of Lee was not due in part solely to this, but it was actually pent up from you constantly bringing up dodgeball or, or <laughs> getting picked well, last. Kickball, R- kickball yeah, getting picked last and kickball. Always bringing up Ricky Ryman. Right. Maybe that's what it was from. Bob Hope was, for God's sake. That, okay. <laughs> I told you he's it's not the guy just an who, airport in Burbank. <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to tell him that he's the guy who hosted the prices right before Drew Carey. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm, Barker. I'm kidding. Shut it. Come on. It's Bob. Um, I know. God. Not, Kevin, anyway, what was your question? Can we let Kevin ask the question? You did not have the family of uh, gangsters in the 30s. That was Ma Barker. Okay. Ma Barker. Who did not have a radio show uh, about her in the 20s. That was Ma Perkins. Don't, Kevin, don't encourage him because he'll never <laughs> stop. Don't encourage this man. That's the comedy background. That's the, when you're constantly going, the engine still works. You know, that's the what horse, I'm saying. The that's horse still what, wants yes. to be let out of the out of the barn, right? <laughs> that's why we want to keep him working. <laughs> there's still there's still some fuel in the tank. Um, <laughs> you were talking about CW room, and I'm bringing it back, um, even if you hesitated to bring it back. Talking about like some of the stuff is free, and a lot of the stuff that so you're offering to uh, newer writers out there, and then some of the stuff will obviously. You know, you have to pay for service space. I get it. You have to do mm-hmm. what you have to do. Um, will be paid and, 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 you know, if they find it useful mm-hmm. and they want to continue the progression and things like that. Mm-hmm. So t- tell me a little bit about what yeah. CW Room is other than a portal that has a lot of information <laughs> via many different sources and many different mediums that mm-hmm. writers can access a lot for free. What What is CW Room mm-hmm. essentially? And, and what what are writers going to learn if they go to the cwroom.com? Um, yeah, Lee, we should probably figure that out, right? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're, like, we're like Scientology, okay? <laughs> Just come and find out. Just come, <laughs> come in, you know, we'll give you an e-meter e- e- test and, you know, a short quiz. And, uh, you know, then if you want to continue, then... <laughs> Right. Give us all of your possessions and uh, go to the sweat room. Family. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the psychology test is just like actually sitting down to take the test. If they actually, if we can get someone to do that, like, boom, they're a Scientologist. Right. Forget what they do. 
Yeah, we, um, we do. We do. Um, we do a couple of. Well, we do one Zoom show called. Co-Pilots. Yeah, explain co-pilots, Lee. Co-pilots um, is a Zoom show. We do it live uh, every couple of weeks, and in each one, we screen and break down a sitcom pilot. Some of them are modern sitcoms. Some of them are classic sitcoms. And we go through them scene by scene, and we analyze them in terms of structure, hmm. character development you know what what function each scene is serving mm-hmm. in the context of a sales tool to sell this particular series and uh, you know it's a lot of fun and i enjoy doing it jason does a free zoom show called the pitch where he interviews people about something i've never watched it <laughs> You're uh, like i'm not involved in pitching anymore i don't have to pitch anymore so i don't really care <laughs> Jason does a show. It's very good. I don't know. I think so. I've heard, but um, yeah, talk about pitching gives me PTSD. <laughs> and here's my because I'm so in it right now. Like, and what I love about my role at Sony, Kevin, is that we get pitched so many times, and then we get to pitch so many times. So it's it's seeing both sides of how writers and other producers pitch us on ideas, and it's getting feedback, not just from our partner studio on our pitches, but also from buyers. Like when we mm. go to Netflix and HBO and, and Showtime to pitch, right? Like hearing feedback from them. So, and I think the first time, like I ever heard an official pitch, I was, I, I went to my boss and I was like, I, like, is that, is that, was that real? Mm-hmm. Like, is that how it works? Because I, the uh, writing a pilot is very different, a very different skill set and a whole different world as opposed to pitching your pilot. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people think like, I'm just going to give them the plot and go beat by beat. And this happens. And it's like, don't do that. (laughs) And this is like, I taught a pitch class this morning and we went through this exact thing of give us that emotional connection. Why you for this story? And these are the things that I had no idea uh, before really getting a foot into this business. And it goes back to trying to teach other people doing this like free webinar and so many people being interested because we never really get taught that. Mm. Like no one, there's no, like no one gets taught this process of pitching when really this business is pitching, pitching ourselves and pitching our ideas. Pitching, pitching and writing are two very, very different skills. And, you know, one thing I would recommend if you're going to be a part of a team, uh, it's really good if one of you is good at pitching and one of you is good at writing. Mm. <laughs> Most teams are like that. Uh, I, really, I, I had a partner who was really good at pitching at one time, not so hot at writing, uh, but he was really good at walking around after me and apologizing to the people that I'd alienated. So (laughs) (laughs) we're a great team. The team for a while. Yeah. What 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 about our dynamic? What what do I do? do I apologize for you now. Is that is that what I do? I point out what I need to apologize for. <laughs> I go back to the podcast editor. I'm like, can we just can we edit that out? We can't. You can't say that. You really don't want to say that about whatever you said that about whatever group. Um, yes, no, but yes, what you what you're saying, true. I think Jason is important because. I think as a writer, you hear pitching. I have to pitch my show. I have to pitch myself to a showrunner. I have to pitch this. 
But I think you actually exposed something very interesting uh, just a few minutes ago that you as an executive have to also pitch. Mm -hmm. You pitch to your boss. Like if you, if a writer pitches to you and you don't fall in love with it, there's no way you're going to be able to pitch that to your boss in any way that's effective. And then everyone is pitching to somebody. Yes. Yes. That's something that's, that's a very important point Mm -hmm. is that most of the time when you're pitching, you don't have, you're not pitching to someone who can say yes. You're pitching mm-hmm. to somebody who can either say no or let me discuss it internally. Yeah. So your pitch has to, it's like a game of telephone. Mm-hmm. You know, your pitch has to be something that can be easily absorbed and repeated. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and and you know the executive isn't going to get all the nuance and, and subtext, you know, mm-hmm. that you assume is in your pitch. And, and you're talking for, you know, 20 minutes about every plot point. The executive isn't yeah. going to hear that easy. You're going to say, well, well, about a top talking dog, you know. And uh, the talking dog has, uh, you know, uh, has neuroses. Okay. Get it down to something that that guy can go upstairs and tell his boss in a way that sounds, you know, at all compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, these are, these are the things that Lee and I always try to stress. We'll do some free events where it's like, oh, pitch us your TV series. And we try to do them like once a month where we'll do a live Zoom and writers come on and they'll just pitch us their series and Lee and I will listen and, and we'll give notes and feedback. Um, by the way, never tell us dot, 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 and then hijinks ensues. That's not a pitch. Um, <laughs> hilarity, hilarity, that's the phrase. Hilarity ensues. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like in Shit's Creek, hilarity ensues. In Sopranos, hilarity ensues. Like, yeah. I don't know. It means absolutely nothing, but you know, I can't relate to, um, uh, you know, I don't know. It's an action thriller and like jumping out of a plane, right? And then he jumps out of a plane and I'm like, I don't, okay, I can't relate to that. What I can relate to is doing anything at all costs to save the life of a loved one or mm-hmm. being in fear of somebody who I'm very close to and, and, and them dying. Like these are the emotional connections that we all share as human beings. That's what we want to hear in a pitch. And, My favorite and- Bad pitch is uh, <laughs> only one. Well, it's it's a genre of bad yeah. pitch where, where somebody says, uh, you, know, "You know, it'd be great is a, a, a sitcom about a dentist office and all the crazy things that happen." And then the next guy comes and says, "You know, it'd be great the show about a real estate office and all the crazy things that happen there." You know, that, it, you'd be amazed how many times I have heard uh, variations of that theme. Yeah. Or somebody pitches me like one like germ of a scene and it's like, oh yeah, this guy, like I just came from a Walmart and imagine like I walked in the exit, imagine walking in the exit and then somebody says, oh no, that's the exit. You have to go through the entrance. And hilarity ensues. And (laughs) hilarity (laughs) ensues. And I'm like, okay, uh, great. How does the character feel? Oh, I, that I don't know. Well, you know, hilarity ensues. What part of yeah. that, that don't you get? I know. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, I'm the problem. You're right. right. I, I should have seen that hilarity ensues. Right. right. It was spelled out for you. I wrote it out for you. <laughs> what more do you want from me? I don't know, a joke? It's all, it's my fault. Right. <laughs> um, I wanted to, to move off just a little bit. And I, Lee, I wanted to ask, 
you have worked on a number of fantastic shows, many of which were ensemble pieces. And this question came to me because I saw you had on your YouTube page uh, a topic about it. And so I wanted to get the answer right here and there, uh, right here and now. Uh, 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 Lee, what is the key to making a great ensemble show work? Uh, well, and, wait, wait, I loved Lee's face because when you said it's on your YouTube channel, he goes, we have a fucking I, YouTube channel? I have a YouTube channel. I, ha- I have a Twitter account. It's at <laughs> That's it for me, and uh, that's it for me in social media. I, I think we have a uh, yes, yeah, our CWR uh, YouTube. Yes, that's oh. the one I was referring to. <laughs> um, also, you said I've been on a lot of great shows. I also want to point out that I've been on a lot of crappy shows, and uh, I really have. If you look at my IMDb pages, and I will tell you that I have worked harder on the failures as a rule mm-hmm. than worked on the successes. Um, and the question being, you know, what is the secret? What is the key? If the, if there were a secret or a key, I wouldn't have been on any of the crappy shows. <laughs> you know, it really is, it's a matter of chemistry and luck. Um, you need, a hit show is the result of the right script, the right cast, the right time slot on the right network in the right season. You know, uh, the, all those things have to come together uh, to make a hit show. And, you know, great writing uh, cannot save great acting. Great acting can make up for mediocre writing. Uh, you know, you can have shows that, that can uh, succeed just based on the chemistry between your cast. Um, like and- Sheldon and... Um- or are you like Jim Parsons and great chemistry? I don't, you don't get a super hit like Big Bang Theory unless everything has come mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that premise was so improbable. It mm-hmm. never would have gotten on the air if uh, we hadn't had two and a half men as an enormous hit first. Uh, you know, we took two shots at the pilot before CBS picked it up. I was going to say, that's a good story for the post, Lee, about redoing the Big Bang pilot, because we broke down, I think, the original pilot of Big Bang on co-pilots and then the aired version. Mm. Um, and it's very rare that you get a, a second go at that. But Lee, answer the question. Do he ask you about ensembles? What am I, I'm saying there's no key to a great ensemble. There, there, well, there, I, you, you, I mentioned this in... Go ahead. Well, really? Would, would you think that, uh, 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 you know, a tune... Two nerds, one of which is on the autism spectrum scale, uh, a, an Indian who can't talk to women, and a Jewish Lothario, uh, uh, and a Cheesecake Factory mate, uh, waitress would make a fantastic ensemble. Uh, you know. They, wait, wait, well, I'm, let me, I'm writing this down. What was that? No, just kidding. <laughs> well, I, Lee, to that point, if Two and a Half Men wasn't as big of a hit, it's, again, we go back to that package of auspices. This is another thing we talk about in our class. We talk about packaging, not from like the the ugly sense of packaging, like WGA conflict with CAA and all that. It's about who are the auspices? Who's your producer, your showrunner? Do you have talent attached? Who's going to direct the pilot? Um, what is your writing? To, like, what is this package? What does this team look like? in order to help us say, oh, this adds more credibility. It has a bigger chance of success. Right. We pitched uh, initially two and a half men was, uh, you know, was me and Chuck and an idea 
And uh, so it was a script deal at CBS based on It's Chuck Lorre. Then we attached Charlie Sheen to it. Oh, it's Chuck Lorre and Charlie Sheen. This is a go pilot. But I got to tell you, if we had not cast John Cryer, the show would have not succeeded. And CBS didn't want John Cryer. Because John Cryer had been on like five failed sitcoms prior to that. And, and they blamed him. Mm. Uh, and when Charlie left the show, it, it, it took a hit, but it still went on for three years. If John Cryer had left the show, I think we would have had to shut down. Mm. John Cryer is, is a comedic magician and God. I mean, he's a great actor overall, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Kevin, just to, uh, I think to, because this came up in class uh, this morning about ensembles. And I think mm-hmm. in that clip, Lee and I talked about, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was about the lens by which we're introduced to that ensemble cast. Meaning like, as we're seeing the show, Lee, we talked about like uh, in the office, how we're introduced to everyone else through Michael Scott's sort of lens and entry point. 30 Rock, I think, is Liz Lemon on the way to work. It's her. And then we see everybody else through sort of her lens. Um, is that, I don't know. I don't even know that's what you were asking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was really, how do the best ensembles work? Obviously, there's no magic special sauce that you just sort of add to a bunch of characters and something magical happens. And as, as Lee mentioned, chemistry plays a big part in it and this type of thing. But how do you know as a writer if maybe you're featuring one character too much or what if you have too many characters and uh, obviously it's it's not a one size fits all sort of solution but i just wondered if there were sort of since he had since lee's done so many uh, ensemble pieces if there was anything to sort of that you could draw from that was easy to distill and like don't do this um, no, I mean, it, it's, it's an art, not a science. And ensembles, you know, they, they generally do not spring fully formed. Um, you know, if you look at The Office, uh, uh, it's, it, the, the pilot really is Michael Scott mm-hmm. and uh, maybe two out, Jim and Pam and, and Dwight. That, those are the only characters you really get to know. The other ones developed over the seasons. Uh, when we did the Two and a Half Men pilot, uh, uh, the stalker Rose. She was just a day player. She was not. Uh, she was not intended to be a continuing character. Berta the maid was not even in the pilot. She didn't appear until episode two or maybe three. I don't know. Uh, and it's these people come along, and they hit home runs. You know, they hit it out of the park, and the chemistry is there. So then you start writing more to them. Big Bang Theory, it started with, uh, you know, the four guys and Penny, and characters were added over the years. Uh, we tried a lot of different women as love interests, uh, you know, for the characters, for, for Leonard, actually, uh, before, and for Sheldon, you know, a, a female addition, before we came up with Amy Farrah Fowler. There, there were three or four uh, episodes we did with various characters. So it's it's the ones you kind of build it, you you kind of mm-hmm. sculpt it as you're going along, and then you end up with what's a brilliant ensemble. Yeah, and, and I think you learn, you learn you learn how to write, how to service all the characters. You learn what characters, and a lot of times it's a function of the actor. 
who you can't give too much to at one time because maybe they can't memorize long speeches. Mm. You learn uh, somebody mm. like Jim Parsons can do uh, two pages of dialogue, you know, that you give him two minutes before the camera rolls. Mm. And, and, you know, you can run in and switch a paragraph in the middle of shooting and he'll mm-hmm. just do it. And, you know, uh, you just, you get a feel of the rhythm. Yeah. There's a couple takeaways from this, I think. And, and we try to stress this to up and coming creators, right. About being adaptable, like, because to Lee's point, yeah, we, who we can casting could completely change the game. So yeah, having this sense of, especially if we haven't broken in yet, like let's be, uh, adaptable and open to going into different directions. Um, another thing is with two and a half men and big bang, the, the, the core relationship and characters were so clear and so vivid. And the engines of those shows were so clear that it allowed for that ensemble to be built out from there. Um, so if we, if we hone in really specifically to those, those main protagonists, that main relationship, what those dynamics are, and if it's like a, a buddy or a duo thing and the characters are very contrasted, but very specific, you can build out from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys, being in, in quarantine, this has nothing to do with writing per se, but we always like to sort of touch on it because what you guys are are reading, watching, playing, or listening to, uh, our listeners, our viewers may find valuable as well. We're all looking for great things to uh, consume. Um, so what is it that you are reading, watching, playing, or listening to currently that you would recommend? Wow. Uh... I know you've got multiple game systems. Yeah, uh, well, for me, it's, uh, it's Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I have, no joke, 500 hours into that game. Uh, I'd love to hear it. Uh, and, and Tomb Raider, the Tomb Raider trilogy. Hmm. I keep trying to get Lee to start a Twitch so like people can like, like follow him. and like. I do that. Absolutely. Well, I have no desire to do that whatsoever. I, I don't like strangers in my living room. <laughs> Uh, I binge, I just binge watched, uh, the last two seasons of the crown. Mm. Uh, I'd watched the first two seasons and the jump to the older cast in real time. Well, I found very disconcerting. So I put it aside for a few months and then came back to it with the older cast and really good show. Uh, the boys on Amazon is a fantastic show. Uh, well, you know, I'm watching a lot of old, old movies, pre-code, Warner mm. Brothers gangster films. Uh, I, I watch a lot of uh, TMC, AMC. Um, no, turns TCM. Excuse me. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. AMC channel has commercial blue. Um, you know, it, it's the, the days pass. No, that's mm-hmm. great. Um, I. Uh, on the other hand, um, have to do this thing where like you, you, do, you do something and then like you get a paycheck, like, cause they, you do that stuff. What is it? Oh, work. <laughs> what? I, I know it's a foot. It's, it's a foot. It's like, I'm speaking a foreign language. Really. It, you do work and like, then you get like compensated for it. You, 
Yes. Okay. You know, I, 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 I right. in my life, I, I walked four miles to school. You kids today. <laughs> I know he's done his fair share of work. Um, yeah. Like for me, so a lot of it for me, I think is balancing work related watching and reading mm-hmm. uh, versus like Jason just wants to detach and like be entertained by something. So like a lot of pitches and pilot scripts as we are developing shows, it's kind of like, okay, matching up the submissions that we get and thinking like, okay, this is a great sample or this is a really great voice. Um, so there's a lot of that. Also, even watching things for work, uh, uh, a foreign show that we think about, you know, I'll use the word format. So like The Office is a format. Shameless is a format. These are uh, UK shows that were purchased and adapted for the American market. So we do a lot of that because Howard and Alex having done Homeland and they have that really sort of that global uh, interest in terms of adopting stories from from different countries and, and parts of the world. Right, because Homeland uh, was an Israeli series, right? Um, but, 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 yes, yes, exactly. So they adapted that show. Gideon Raff, I believe, was the the, the original writer of it, mm-hmm. and then yes, they adapted that show. And now there's another version, almost like a Homeland Israeli series called um, Fauda. Mm-hmm. Sorry, make a plug for Fauda and. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, and, and yeah, so they're very close with the producers of that show because it's similar in tone and genre. And so I, I, I would thought the Israeli homeland would be called, you yeah, not coming home. Land. <laughs> this is my life. Don't try the view. This is my life. Um, I love, I love that. We should, we should write that. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah. And then, uh, uh, reading, like, I don't, Lee, it, this, see some of the, you might be like, Lee and I are, c- can be seen as an odd couple. We do, <laughs> we do closely align on a few different things. For example, William Goldman's book, hmm. Adventures in the Screen Trade, and so, nobody knows nothing in this business. Like that, like those are lines. I think that Lee and I live and die by. That's the only book on writing, you know, about writing that I've ever read. And it's, or ever read all the way through. Mm -hmm. Um, And I reread it periodically. And Mm -hmm. it it is just brilliant because it's not a how-to. It's a, uh, it's a why. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he talks about his experiences writing screenplays like uh, The Princess Bride and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And he talks about the business and he talks about Mm -hmm. his struggles to maintain uh, the structure and spine of a story that he wants to tell. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just I would recommend it to anybody. Writer or not, writer, actor. Yeah, it's sitting on my shelf right now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah before i read that book years ago before lee and i met and and yeah it's a book i always go back to um i also have on my coffee table it's open i net it's never closed because i always go back to it uh the war of art by stephen mm. pressfield like if if you want to write and create that is a bible look the intro of the book 
he makes he says how Hitler got rejected from art school and it became easier for him to start World War II than to stare at a blank canvas. If that's mm. the intro of your book, you got me. Right. So, it, you know, it's all about the resistance and the fear that we as creators come up against and how we block that out. And it's really going to war against that resistance. So I, I, I love that book. It's always open on my coffee table. How many times I pick it up and look at it, I don't know, because I'm in resistance. What's it called? <laughs> the War of Art. <laughs> we'll we'll have links below. Lee, that's the one thing Lee has written down on his. And by the way, I don't, I don't, I never met Mr. Pressfield, but he's brilliant and I love his stuff. Um, yeah. In in the eight years of your guys' relationship, or ten years, or five years, or however long you guys have known each other, that's the first thing that Lee has written down that you've ever said. <laughs> and and maybe that's the last. The so enjoy of, it. One, yeah, that's the one bit of advice right. that 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 he's jotted down. Um, he at probably, least we have proof also, of it, though. We have proof it, of it, though. Well, he probably also wrote something else. He probably did it for the gag, the visual <laughs> gag, right? And then he right. probably wrote, go fuck yourself. Right. You know, like, we don't know. Right. Look, the only thing I've written in seven months is about six drafts of my suicide notes. So, <laughs> to, you know, creating at this point. But then who's going to play all that Zelda? Yeah, that's true. I get, like... I'm curious what draft two looked like now that I, now that you say it's six years. Can I read the second? Like, I'm curious what. Yeah, don't read the first. That's garbage. No. <laughs> um, I don't know. The last thing I'll say with it being the holidays, like I'm a sucker for, you know, I'll go back and watch the, the West Wing season one holiday episode. And like, you know, I like to, I, that's for me, like detaching a little bit and kind of like getting, getting connected with like, oh yeah, it's the, it's the holidays, even though I haven't gone out of my house in six months. Like, yeah, it's a, okay, you know. Like, I watched Home Alone, the 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 Matthew McDowell version, and like, I didn't even know it existed. It's like oh. Home Alone. It was made in 2012. I'm like, this is horrible, but like, okay, you know, right. like that's Jason detaching from work and just like, okay, this is this is terrible, but I'm having fun. <laughs> so. Um, I'm not going to, uh, ask too much about that, uh, the home alone remake, <laughs> but what I will say is we actually had a, a holiday ver- episode of the podcast where we asked people's favorite holiday movies. And, uh, one of the great debates that comes up, I think every year is Die Hard, And we'll, we'll sort of, uh, wind it down with this is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not. And why? No. No, it's no. not. Okay. No. What makes a Christmas movie is not the time of year that it takes place in. It's whether Christmas has anything to do, you know, the, the spirit of Christmas or anything actually Christmas-like. Yes, there's a Christmas party, but it could have been any goddamn office party uh, that, that, that happened. It's just not a Christmas movie. There are Christmas movies that can take place in July if, if they have to do with, uh, you know, family getting together or, uh, you know, to plan Christmas or to get home for Christmas. They can take place in November. Um, it's, it's about, it's about what people feel, Christmas is for them, and there's nothing in Die Hard that is Christmassy. 
It's a wow. great movie. I love it, but it's not a Christmas film. I was sort of swayed the other way, but now you're swaying me back, Lee. I got to say, that's a, that's a good argument. I, I, I couldn't disagree with him more. Okay, this I want to hear. Let's go, Jason. Let's go. I, that, see, here's the truth. I'm going to disagree just for this. Oh, this What's is a part of the show where you guys go at it. <laughs> this is the part of the show where our partnership like breaks. <laughs> um, no, I, I completely agree with what he's saying. I mean, I for me, like I think it speaks. I don't mean to get political. I think it speaks volumes to our American culture of yeah, Christmas movie where like John McClane has a glass in his foot, but he's shooting machine guns. It's like uh, okay, like I don't know. That's a stretch. Um, but for the sake of me not wanting to agree with Lee any more than once within the span of two hours, I will say I disagree with him. Because if there's a Christmas tree in that fucking movie, that's a Christmas film. I, I, I could, you could not be more wrong. If, you, if John McClane is photoshopped with a Santa hat, that's a holiday film. No, I'm sorry. Bad Santa is not a Christmas movie. What it, it's in the title, Santa. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, it's not more than it, it's it's not in the title and it's not in the set decoration. You know, ninety. It's a wonderful life. Is a percent of the film is Billy Bob Thornton dressed as Santa. That's yeah. a holiday film. No, it's a wonderful life is a Christmas movie, and there's only one Christmas in the whole goddamn film. Okay, that is a soap That's opera on daytime TV. What? It's a wonderful, that's a soap opera on daytime TV. How's that a Christmas film? Oh my God. It is the, it is, it is the quintessential Christmas film. It's about it's a, all, it is, it is about all the, the, the spirit of, of Christmas and, and friendship and family and coming together. And that's uh, a horror film. You're describing a horror film. <laughs> spirit and family coming together. Uh I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about what people want to think of Christmas as. For me, Christmas is a horror show. I I'd be happy to skip it every year, but that, that doesn't that doesn't change what constitutes a true Christmas film. I I do, Kevin. I do agree with Lee on these points. I'm in this. We're in the same. Off the boat. record. Off the record. Off the record. Don't air that. Don't air that. Edit that out. But I agree with him on this. Um, I'm make looping gif of that or gif. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it either. Yeah. I can't believe he knows what it is. Oh. <laughs> uh, he has a Twitter account. They do those on Twitter. He had, we had to make pictures on each, different pictures on each page and then flip it. And that was our gif. <laughs> You have to walk around mailing it to people. Um, Gentlemen, thank you for coming on the show and chatting with us today. This is fun, man. Thank you for having us. And you'll be sticking around to answer a few more questions on the after show? That's scary, but sure. Oh, it's not scary at all. Uh, And just for future, for for everybody, let's wrap it up. Um, The most important thing that we've, talked about on this entire podcast the thing that everyone should take away from it is lee what's your twitter address again at, <laughs> at benny ace b-e-n-n-y-a-c-e thank you great joke structure there kevin like great <laughs> like it's a great callback like beautiful execution it was great oh thanks and where can everyone find you and the creators right 
Creators <laughs> Writing Room. Jason, where oh, can Lee, we... you don't want to plug that, Lee? Uh, yeah, hit us up on uh, Instagram, Twitter. We're at the CW Room. Um, no, we're not affiliated with the network, the CW. Um, yes, we just tried to find a short handle that was not taken yet. Um, so we're at the CW Room. Uh, I don't know. You can w- follow me on Twitter, but like, I don't, I don't, all I do is retweet CW Room stuff and get in arguments with Lee. So if you're interested in that. Notice he retweets CW Room stuff. He does not. Yeah retweet at Benny Ace. So. I don't know. You know, Lee, I love him. He get you know, Lee gets political as he should with Lee has a very strong stance and voice on certain things. Me, I still have a career that I want. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. We actually did a whole topic on Twitter and writers and people in the industry and how you can step in a landmine, mm. that kind of thing. And, you know, obviously, yeah. like you said, Lee can, sort of you know he's, do whatever the hell he wants right whereas you know jason maybe not <laughs> gotta be careful right um so join us uh on the after show on patreon if you have questions about the craft or business of writing you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at script scribes there's no and in the middle there just at script scribes and lee your twitter again is at Benny Ace, and in the after show, we're going to be talking drugs, Charlie Sheen. So, you- <laughs> so don't miss that. What a great teaser promo for, that the, is for, great. for the after show. Um, thank you, Lee and Jason, and thank you all for listening.